0: Uh, Grab a copy of the scriptures and turn with me uh, once again to 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 6 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 6 through 11. This is uh, uh, Peter's last bit of instruction before he says farewell, before he signs off. And uh, so the plan, Lord willing, is to finish our study, our series in First Peter uh, next Sunday. And then uh, in the Sundays leading up to Easter, we'll look at uh, miscellaneous passages, a few different texts. And after Easter then, we plan to begin our new series in the book of Deuteronomy, which I'm uh, very much looking forward to. But today, First Peter chapter 5. Uh, Picking it up in verse 6. And let's hear what God has to say to his people today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, these verses answer an important question. And the question is, How do we deal with suffering? How do we handle hard times in our lives? The truth is it's easy for us to not handle suffering well, isn't it? When we feel the pressure of hardship, we can question God. We can question his character. We can wonder if he's forgotten about us. We can lose heart, can become faint-hearted and, and get discouraged. But we can mishandle anxiety. Instead of anxiety being something that leads us into a deeper dependence upon God, it can, it can lead us to try to be independent, to try to handle things on our own, to take control of the situation and enact our will. Hard times can can tempt us to become forgetful, to lose sight of God's purposes in our suffering and his promises to see his people through it. See, chances are, if if you have faced suffering, hard times in your lives, then, then you know something about the things that I've just described. And so I think it would be good for us to be reminded how we can deal with suffering in the light of the gospel. And that's what this passage is about. Peter Peter writes to believers who are suffering, and they're suffering for their faith. They're being mocked. They're being marginalized. they're, They're being rejected in the public sphere, in their surrounding communities. They're being called fools for believing in a crucified Messiah, and they're being made to pay a price. That's the kind of suffering they're experiencing. But Peter wants to help them understand how their new identity in Christ actually changes how they respond to suffering. And I think his teaching can do the same for us too. Now, just really quickly here, that the verses, if we wanted to structure them, if you uh, read over them, you'll, you'll see that Peter gives three admonitions. And follows it up with a word of encouragement. That's, that's going to be our, our structure, our outline as we work through this passage today. The three pieces of counsel that Peter gives to us are number one, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, number two, have, have a wartime mentality, be sober minded and alert. And number three is resist the devil by standing firm in your face. And then Peter follows that up with this word of encouragement that God will set all things to right. So let's unpack those things and, and begin with the first piece of counsel that Peter gives to us in verse 5. Now we need to understand... First of all, that there is, there is a massive theological reality undergirding what Peter says here. I'm sorry, in verse 6. I've been saying verse 5. Verse 6. And that, that theological reality is our union with Christ. Our being identified with Christ... In his humiliation and in his exaltation. The reality that Christ's life is being written over the lives of all of those who belong to him. And so in light of that gospel reality, listen to what Peter says. Look at the verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now stop there and, and realize don't don't read this verse as though you know here's Peter wagging his finger at you trying to put you in your place before God that's not the sense of Peter's teaching here it's it's far more positive than that Peter is saying recognize that that God is in complete control recognize that he is good And trust him. And trust your life into his hands. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And here's what we need to appreciate to appreciate this for ourselves, dear friends, is this is precisely, this is precisely what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did in order to be our savior so remember, this is is a major theme throughout this letter, that the Christian life is a life of following Christ, following in his footsteps. This is about having our lives conformed to his. So when Jesus suffered, he humbled himself under God's mighty hand. And Peter is saying, so too do the followers of Jesus, Not, not because they simply follow Jesus by the you know, the sheer force of their will. No, it's because Jesus first lived this way because he humbled himself and entrusted his life to God in the midst of the deepest and darkest suffering because he forged the life of faith because he is the author and perfecter of our faith because he is the pioneer of the life of faith. This is how and this is why We humble ourselves under God when we suffer. Let's be clear, this doesn't mean that we go looking for suffering. It doesn't mean that we don't try to alleviate suffering. But it does mean that we learn to see our circumstances as, as a matter of God's wise and sometimes hard providence. And we learn to accept that and trust him in the midst of it. And we do that, Peter is reminding us, we do that because our lives are being conformed to our saviors. Think about it this way. What, what was Jesus doing in his final moment on the cross? We could use Peter's Words here, couldn't we, to describe it. He was humbling himself under the mighty hand of his father and trusting his life to God. With that in mind, listen to how Luke describes it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 verse 46. Here is Jesus hanging on the cross in the last moments of his life. And it says, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke says, "In having said this, he breathed his last. Now to really, really come to terms with this, we need to remember that just a few hours ago, this was the very same Jesus who, while he was being arrested said to his disciple, you know, who, drew, who drew his sword to try to defend Jesus, don't you think that I could appeal to my Father in heaven and he would send 12 legions of angels? But in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled, Jesus humbled himself. How does Paul put it in Philippians 2? He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And dear friends. He did it for you and me. He did it for our salvation. And then ask the question. Okay then, then what happened? What, what followed Jesus humiliation? From being maligned by the world. And, and beaten and mocked. To being. To being crucified and put to death as a criminal. And then buried in the earth. What followed Jesus' humiliation? God exalted him. God exalted him at the proper time. I I just mentioned Philippians chapter 2. Remember that famous passage in uh, verses 8 through 11. where, Where Paul says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, he humbled himself, therefore God has highly exalted him, giving him the name That is above every name. Now do you see see that that is the very same pattern Peter says is true if we belong by faith to Jesus Christ. Because this is true of him. Because we trust in him. Because we are one with him. Because we're united to him. This is how our new identity in Christ reconfigures how we respond to suffering we follow Jesus in humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and trusting our lives into his loving hands so that at the proper time he may exalt us now friends I don't I don't know about you but as I worked on this I I saw again and again yeah this this is a word I need to hear I don't pretend to be someone who has suffered a great deal in my life. But when I have experienced hardship, I'll tell you, my default response is not to humble myself. My default response is to complain. To become bitter. To question God's wisdom. To ask, why, why, why me? Why is this happening? What possible good could come out of this? And you, you know what's happening when, when that's going on? One of the things that's happening is... Well, I'm, I'm forgetting who I am. I am forgetting my new identity in Christ and what it means for my suffering. See, as Christians, we confess that afflictions are not random events which God has nothing to do with. Hard. And mysterious and beyond our understanding though it may be. We know that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass. God works out everything according to the counsel of his will. That that means that our trials as well as our triumphs come from God's hand. Now we could respond to that in a number of ways we could respond to that the way job's wife did you remember her response to job's afflictions she didn't say this has nothing to do with god she she blamed god and she said to her husband job curse god and die and that that's one way we we could respond but you remember how Job himself responded, how he responded to those words. He, he said, shall we receive good from God and shall we not also receive evil? God is sovereign over our trials. And we, we, can't, we can't just willingly receive all the good things that he gives us and reject the hard things. That's what Job is saying in response to his wife. See, there's a There's a meekness under the hand of God that accepts trials as part of his sovereign will for us. And and of course, Job Job wasn't Jesus. Job Job struggled to handle his trials well, just like all of us do. But in the book of Job, don't we see a, a life that is being patterned after the life of Christ? Because what happened is Job did humble himself under the Lord's hand by the end of the story what was taking place God God was exalting him God was restoring to him what he had lost but Jesus alone suffered innocently and then was exalted by God and dear friends he did it he did it so that we could receive this promise that comes with a condition humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. See, perseverance in the Christian life, it's a long road marked by humility under God's hand. And the gospel promise is that God will exalt his people at the proper time. Humility here, glory to come. But before before we move on to... The next piece of counsel that Peter offers to us, I do want you to notice that he says something I think that's tremendously helpful about dealing with our anxiety. The the kind of anxiety that we feel as the result of hardship and trial. The kind of anxiety we feel when when we're under pressure and we're uncertain about our future and what is to come. What do we do with that kind of anxiety? Verse 7 says... Cast all your anxieties on him who cares for you. Now that language of, of casting, it, it means, literally it means to put the responsibility for something onto someone else. That's the language that Peter's using here. To, to hand it over, to be taken care of by another. And so Peter is saying we, we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand... In, in tough times, we, we confess our own weakness. We, we admit, I do not have what it takes to just grit my teeth and get through this. And, and all the fears that threaten to overwhelm us, all of the anxieties that hound us and persistently uh, loom over us, what do we do with them? Peter says we, we learn to take those things And place them on God's shoulders. We we learn to take those things. And place them into his lap. It's one of the ways that Calvin actually described Christian prayer. He said prayer is pouring out our troubles into our father's lap. Father says to us. Give give that stuff to me. Put, put it in my hands. I've got this. And I've got you. And so that's the, that's the first thing Peter has to say to us here. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now let's, let's go to the second piece of counsel here. Because Peter, Peter recognizes, this is an important lesson for the Christian life. Peter's recognizing implicitly here that we are especially vulnerable to spiritual attack when we're suffering. When we're going through a difficult time, we are uniquely vulnerable. And so Peter is reminding us that trusting God does not mean slipping into a state of apathetic passivity. See what he says. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, the language he uses here, it really is a call to have a wartime mentality. That's the language that Peter's using. Be clear-headed and alert. Be sober and awake. That's what he's saying. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is like a pacing lion. Lion Seeking whom he may devour. He's reminding us that the threat of destruction is real. And that our adversary, the devil, is a true enemy. We need to be reminded of this. I think think we need to especially be reminded of this in in our own time. Uh, We we live, I think, in, in a culture that fixes our eyes on the things that can be seen and convinces us that anything that cannot be examined under a microscope is not real and peter is reminding us actually there's a there's there's a whole reality influencing this world that we can't behold with our eyes it doesn't make it less real there's a spiritual war raging on and anyone belonging to Jesus is caught up in the fight. And my friends, it's an ancient battle. It's an ancient war that traces all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When when the Lord said to the serpent, cursing the serpent, that he would establish enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. (laughs) Now the good news is that The decisive victory has already been won because the promised seed of the woman has come and conquered even as his heel was being bruised on the cross. But battles rage on, battles continue until Jesus, our victorious king, returns to put an end to all strife. And so Peter is saying that as we live in this time in between, between the time of decisive victory and the end of all conflict, Peter says we need to stay on guard. But on guard against what exactly? I think that's an important question. How does the devil, our adversary, seek to devour us? I, you know, we've all heard all sorts of silly stories about the devil coming to individuals personally to tempt them in different ways. That, that's not what Peter is talking about here. Just, so does Peter offer us any help in understanding how is our adversary actively at work seeking our destruction? I think he does offer us some help. Notice, notice that he uses uh, the imagery of a fierce animal... To describe the devil. Now that's not unprecedented in scripture. The same kind of imagery is used for instance in the books of Daniel. And uh, and Revelation to symbolize world systems. uh, Corrupted by the powers of darkness and sin. Now this certainly fits within Peter's letter doesn't it? What he's saying here is that the enemy seeks to devour God's flock through various religious, social, cultural, and political forces that pressure God's people and tempt them or try to to coerce us to accommodate and conform or convert back to the ways of the world. And so Peter is saying that behind worldly powers and influences, pressuring Christians to just give up or to give in, that the devil, our adversary, is at work seeking to devour Christ's people, just as he tried to devour Christ when he was in the world. And so Peter is saying, be clear in your thinking and be alert, because you are in the midst of a battle, and and the battle is for your heart. The battle is for your life. Satan wants to devour you by snatching you up from the flock of God and dragging you back into the world for your destruction and he uses the forces of this present age the forces of this present evil age social pressures political forces cultural influences to destroy people so peter's saying be sober-minded be alert and brothers and sisters i i wonder if you would agree with me i I don't think we take this seriously enough. We talk a lot about spiritual warfare. We talk about the armor of God, but we often trivialize it or minimize it. Do we live do we live like people who are at war? Do we live as though we are living dwelling in in enemy-occupied territory. You know, think about soldiers on the front line for a minute. There's a sobriety that they have, isn't there? Their head's on a swivel. <laughs> they're alert. They're always looking out for each other. Their weapons are ready. And Peter is saying, that's how we've got to live in this world. It is a matter of life and death. It is that serious. Why? Because we have a real adversary who is seeking our destruction. So that's Peter's second piece of counsel. Be, be sober-minded and alert. For your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking who, whom he may devour. Let's go, the, let's go to the third one here. It's connected to this. Okay, so humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Have a wartime mentality. And third, resist the devil. Verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. And so here is a is a call not not only to be sober and alert, but to actively resist. It is a call to resistance. And Peter spells out how we do it. How do we resist our adversary? Peter says, by standing firm in your faith. We resist the devil by being firm in our faith. So, okay, how do we do that? How can we be firm in faith? <clears throat> the first thing I think we need to say up front is this doesn't just happen. This isn't an automatic thing in the, the Christian life. In a world where principalities and powers are at work to make shipwreck of our faith to lead us away, we should never think that our faith will simply be strong automatically. Faith is, we've confessed it already today, faith is a gift of God's grace. It's something the spirit of Christ enables us to do, to gift, to trust God and believe in Christ for salvation. Faith takes God at his word and embraces Christ trusting in him alone for for forgiveness, for change, for eternal life. Those are the principal acts of faith. We talk about that in theology, but then our confession goes on to say that faith also responds in particular ways to God's word. So faith obeys God's commands. Faith takes seriously God's warnings. Faith takes hold and claims God's Promises. So we, we need to stand firm in in this kind of faith. The faith that, that believes God. That listens to his word and trusts in Christ as the Savior. And Peter's helping us understand that. It's, it's this faith the devil wants you to forsake. He wants you to abandon. He wants you to renounce. He, he wants your faith to be weak so that you're susceptible to compromise. And look... It, it's, it's not like it was for Jesus. Let's, let's be clear about this. Satan is a finite creature. He, he does not need to come to us personally to tempt us. He had to do so for Jesus in the wilderness and throughout his earthly ministry. But it's not as though Jesus, uh, Satan comes and, and whispers something in your ear and, and you wake up one day and say, you know what, I don't believe this stuff anymore. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's far more subtle. It's far more mundane It's far more ordinary than that. Peter is talking about the forces of this present evil age, about spiritual forces at work through the world, through society, through cultural influences, through political powers who are at work to weaken us and sow seeds of doubt and discontent until God's people give up. And so again, to stand against the devil's schemes, Peter says we must stand firm in our faith. So again, how do we do that? How do we do that? How can we here at Trinity Presbyterian Church be a people who stand firm in our faith? I've got good news for you. The good news is it's not rocket science. The good news is there's not some sort of secret That we have to learn in order to stand firm in our faith. It's actually pretty simple. Though it requires commitment on our part. So how are we going to be a people to stand firm in our faith? Again, I think think our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, is so helpful here. There's a chapter in there on, on faith. And the chapter says that faith is ordinarily wrought... By the ministry of the word, by which also, by the administration of the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer, faith is increased and strengthened. Did you you hear that? Did you catch it? How How is faith increased and strengthened in the Christian life? By the same thing God uses to work faith in our hearts to begin with. By the ministry of his word, and he uses the signs that he's given of baptism in the Lord's Supper. And prayer. Prayer is another way. God strengthens us in our faith. And, and so to be a people who, who stand firm in our faith, here, here are some of the things we need to do. We, we, need to, we need to very simply devote ourselves to the means that God has given us to establish us and to grow us. In our faith. To the ministry of the word. To the sacraments and prayer. To, to stand against the devil's lie, lies. We need a steady diet of God's word. We need the signs of the gospel he's given us. And we need to devote ourselves to prayer. That's how we do it. And we could throw in here. We could add Christian fellowship. We need each other to be strong in our faith, don't we? We can't do it on our own. And so standing firm in, in the faith, there, there, there isn't, again, there's not some secret that we need to learn, nor is it all that complicated. I think it's actually pretty simple at the end of the day, but again, it requires it requires commitment. It requires devotion. It, it may require the reordering of Some of our priorities and schedules be devoted to the public ministry of the word. To the gospel signs God has given to us. To prayer and to fellowship with God's people. Because by God's grace, that is how we stand firm in our faith. just Just think about this for a minute. Just think about how frequently... How frequently we are hearing from the world about how we should think and how we should live. Think about how often we are being catechized. We are being instructed and formed by things coming from the world about what we should believe and how we should live and and the things we should value most. I mean, I mean, the influence, it's, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? So, ask yourself the question. Do I really think that I'm going to be a healthy, established, thriving, growing Christian when I neglect the means that God has given to his people for them to grow in their faith? Am I going to be strong in my faith when I'm half-hearted about the means of grace that God has given to his people? Can I expect to be a growing Christian when I, I, I come to church on the Sundays when I don't have something else going on? I think this is a challenging set, set, of, set of questions for us to ask ourselves To be firm in the faith, we must devote ourselves to the means God has given to make us strong in our faith. And so here are three pieces of counsel. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and trust yourself to God when you suffer, okay? That's that's one. Have a wartime mentality. Be be sober-minded and alert because your adversary, the devil, is seeking your destruction. And resist him by standing firm in your faith. Now, I think we'd all agree that's that's challenging. I'm not for a moment suggesting that this is this is easy. So can we get some encouragement? <laughs> and, and I think Peter senses that. He 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 wraps up here with an a word of encouragement and a word of hope. And so first of all, notice how he encourages believers by reminding them, first of all, that their experience isn't unique. It's, it's shared by the brotherhood throughout the world, he says. And in, in a strange way, isn't that helpful? Because when we face suffering, whatever kind of suffering we face, we, we can sometimes be tempted to think that we are a special case. That we're unique. That no one has ever been through what I'm currently going through or facing. But the truth is, Peter's reminding us, our sufferings and our struggles are common, common. Now, that's not to minimize the suffering in any way whatsoever, but he's saying what you're facing is common. It's shared by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. Now, how is that a word of encouragement? Because Peter is saying God has seen his people through this in the past. He is seeing your brothers and sisters around the world through it today, and he will see you through it too. But then Peter also has a word of hope. Uh, Remember that when you suffer, he says, God, God will set things to right. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and dwell on these words, okay, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Think about those promises with me for a few minutes. Your restoration, it is a major theme in, in the prophets of the Old Testament. You know, if you just do a quick word search for restoration, you'll, you'll get overwhelmed by the references in the Old Testament to God's promise to restore the fortunes of his people, to bring restoration. And so to a marginalized people, a people who are not home yet, a people who are living as exiles In the world, God says, I will restore your fortunes. Because our God is a God of restoration. He he will restore all things and he will set all things to right. Is it Paul who reminded us a few weeks ago when he was working through the the book of Joel, that that wonderful passage that talks about the, the years that have been eaten up by the locusts? How God will. God will even restore to you the years that you think have been a waste. God will confirm you. Just think of for a minute what that would have meant to these little Christian communities scattered throughout Asia Minor. Remember what they're suffering. They're suffering social marginalization. They're, They're being mocked. They're being called fools for putting faith in a crucified Messiah what idiot would do something like that and Peter says God will confirm you what's he saying he's saying someday you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Christ is going to claim you as his own and he's going to make it clear he's going to make it visible that your faith was not in vain that it wasn't a waste That it wasn't a foolish choice, though it was deemed that in the eyes of the world. God will strengthen you. Now The idea here, I think, is of no more strife, no no more fighting against sin and the devil and the world and your own flesh, no more struggle. Sin will be no more, and one day you will be perfected in holiness. And then the last promise, God will establish you. Now, as we've said in Weeks past, remember, I suggested that it's very well possible that members of these churches spread throughout Asia Minor had actually experienced physical uh, exile. It's very likely that some of them had been driven out of their homes and displaced. Think about our brothers and sisters that we heard about last week fleeing from Kharkiv taking nothing with them but what they could carry in a suitcase. Displaced, without a place to call home, leaving everything behind, Peter is saying to people like that, God will establish you. God will put you in the land and cause you to dwell there secure forever without violence or disruption. As Micah puts it, on that day, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. In other words, the Lord will do it. And so you see, friends, this, this is our Christian hope. This is what is promised to those who believe God, who trust in Christ, to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. After suffering, as Peter says, after suffering for a little while, the God of grace who has called us to eternal glory in Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so yes, this this teaching is challenging in many ways, but Peter at the end is saying, take heart, brothers and sisters, because through faith, this is your unshakable hope. And knowing this is your future, knowing this is what is going to happen to you because you belong to Jesus, you therefore can humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You you can be sober minded and alert by the grace of God. You can resist the devil and stand firm in your faith while you await the day of Christ's appearing when God will set all things to right. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you for our Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you that for our sake he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that you have highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. And because of that we we know that you are trustworthy. We, We know that in Christ Jesus we can entrust our lives into your good hand. So would you please help us to do that? Help us to live with humility. Help us to live with sober-mindedness and alertness as we live in enemy-occupied territory and help each one of us to resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. Keep us growing in that faith that we might be strong in Christ Jesus as we long for and wait the day when we will see him face to face and we will be like him and we will be established in your presence in a world made new and so we cry come quickly lord jesus come and we pray these things in your name amen